0: Let's pray. I'm grateful that we can sing songs that move us beyond the difficult circumstances we face, to, that move, to moves us to you. And Father, even in the midst of what we face, Father, we recognize that you are there. And Father, you desire to process life with us as we journey towards the goal of becoming conformed to your image. Father, help us today. Help us the days ahead as we seek to be your people in this world. Amen. We've been thinking about the importance of joy. And we think of the world we live in. People talk a lot about happiness. But I want us to understand that when you talk about the principle of joy in the Bible, it's much different than just mere happiness. There's something that runs deeper. There's something that has more depth to it and more understanding as we think about our lives in relationship to God. What I think joy is, this deep inner satisfaction, deep contentment inside, produced by the Holy Spirit. We can't produce joy. He works it through us, but we have to be focusing on Christ. That's our part, to be focusing on Christ. But it moves beyond our circumstances to a a deeper place where there is really contentment even in the midst of the hardest circumstances of our lives. There's something about choosing, however, to be joyful to have a perspective as we process our life experiences. I saw on the news the other day that the military brass are hiring a, a man who has a specialty on thinking positively or having a good life outlook. And to use that as a training tool for the military because it has a profound effect on them facing the difficulties of their journey in the military. But the important thing is how does this joyful perspective work in our lives? How does it play out in your life and mine? In the Old Testament, there's two major experiences in the life of the nation. The first one is the high point, which is the exodus from Egypt. But you recall that their experience was was horrific, as they experienced brutal slavery by the Egyptians. And we see the process by which God overcame the gods of Egypt to show that there's only one true God. And the high point is the Passover as the people leave Egypt, this repressive slavery, as they move towards the land of promise. That's the high point. The lowest point is in 586 B.C. when Jerusalem is destroyed. Prophet Jeremiah had been warning them over and over and over again that they need to turn back to God, but they refused. So the Babylonians came in in 586 finally to destroy Jerusalem To destroy the holy temple built by Solomon, this glamorous, glorious temple, the the dwelling place of God. And it was destroyed. It was ravished and destroyed. And the people were carried away to exile. And it appeared like it was over. No hope. That's the low point. In the midst of that, Jeremiah, who was spared because he encouraged, his latter message, was to encourage the people to give in and go to the Babylonians because then God has a greater purpose. And here he is sitting in an ash heap as he's reflecting back on the experiences of what just took place. And sometime around there, he penned the words and wrote them down as he was in deep mourning. He says, I remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the wormwood and the bitterness. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. You see, there's the realism of life. The realism is that we experience afflictions and wanderings and wormwood and bitterness. And we experience that. All of us don't have to live very long in life to experience that. And the realism is those things do happen. But yet he stops there in the book of Lamentations, which when you read that book, you want to just push it aside. It's such a depressing lament and you just kind of push it aside. But in the midst of it is this. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of his great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It is good to wait patiently for the salvation of the Lord, and the Lord is my hope. In the midst of the pages of that, chapters of that book, as it seems they're focusing on the wanderings and the bitterness in the wormwood, What shines so brightly in this book is that wonderful expressions about God's compassion and his faithfulness and his goodness and waiting patiently for God to work. The Lord is my hope. This morning, you can think about your afflictions, your wanderings, your bitterness you are experiencing in life. Every one of us at certain times of life experience those things. Maybe it's a deep sense of depression that you're going through. and You just don't seem to be able to navigate through that. Or some sort of physical infirmity that's really bringing you down. Or the C word or cancer or something you're facing that's, that's afflictions. Or maybe you're watching a loved one who is destroying themselves, who's wandering away from God. And you desire so much for them to come back home. But what they're doing is they're experiencing the wanderings and the bitterness. Maybe the bitterness of a loss of a loved one. Somebody that you deeply love. And, you lost, and you're, you're experiencing that loss. That's the afflictions, the wandering, the bitterness of life. The question becomes, however, is how are we processing those troubling experiences? I really wish I had the experience of ancient Israel, who had a covenant of the Mosaic Covenant, which is a special relationship between God and Israel. And God made certain promises that would would happen for sure if they would simply obey and walk with him. If you do this, it's guaranteed that this is going to happen. That's an incredible agreement they had, that they continually broke and never lived up to it. The promises were, laid, were right there before them, if they would just obey. But we recognize in the world we live in that that's not the promises that we get, that we can guarantee that everything is going to go well for us. We recognize the fall of humanity, where uh, terrible things can happen because of the implications of a fallen world. And Jesus' words himself is, if you want to follow me, you recognize you're going to experience difficulties, hardships, But do not be caught off guard. And then the spiritual reality of Ephesians chapter 6, that there's a spiritual struggle going on. We do not struggle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces in the world. And the people of faith are the bullseye of the evil one. You read in 2 Corinthians the experience of the Apostle Paul. He goes on and he talks about what it's like to follow Jesus in that great book. And he talks about how the difficulties of following him faithfully that he has experienced, and it's a litany of experiences. Many of them that we haven't even begun to experience at all. In the midst of those challenges, as he's in prison or in house arrest, he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And I think as as if he pauses for a moment there, and says, do I really want to say that? Do I really want to say rejoice in the Lord always? And then he emphatically says, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness or your forbearing spirit be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, that's a very, very important statement. I think the prophet Jeremiah, as he was unveiling his message before the destruction of Jerusalem, he, him and Paul have common experiences when it comes to the perspective on life. For Jeremiah says his love is constant, wait patiently. The joy we experience because great is God's faithfulness. The Lord is my hope. Paul says, rejoice always. Let your persevering, patient spirit be evident to all. The Lord is near. They're saying essentially the same thing. There's something deep in our soul that brings joy. He calls us to be spiritually half full people rather than half empty people when it comes to our relationship with the living God. William Barclay says, We are chosen for joy. However hard the Christian way, it is both in the traveling and the goal, the way of joy. There is always joy in doing the right thing. When we evade some duty or task, but when we at last we set our hands to it, joy comes to us. The Christian person is a person of joy. And the great Billy Graham says, The ability to rejoice in any situation is a sign of spiritual maturity. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 for just a moment as I unpack that verse. Those two verses about joy. How do we experience real joy with what we're facing? With what you're facing? What's robbing you today of joy? And let's see if Paul's words can can change your perspective. Again, joy is a deep inner satisfaction. Rejoice in that, experience that joy in the Lord always. And he twice mentions it emphatically. Emphatically. Paul stops after saying, rejoice, in the Lord, he focuses and says, really? But again, forcefully, he says, again, I say, rejoice. This is not a phony thing. Again, I've commented often on my upbringing, but upbringing, I had the feeling that if you're a Christian, you just always have to have this smile on your face. You always have to, even regardless of what you're facing, it's always the big smile on the face, because what about your testimony to other people? You see, think about joy, it's realistic, it's deep, and it's realistic, folks. We're going through difficult times, we're going through difficult times, and there's a response of the soul of, that isn't always a smile on the face when we face difficult times. It's not the experience itself that is joyful, but we have to discover a proper ways to process grief. How do we process grief? How do we process difficult circumstances in our lives? And I'm visiting that even now as I handle the grief of the loss of my brother. Many of you today are in the same boat. This joy that Paul talks about is also lifted up in another follower of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, James, who speaks about the inner reality because of the outcome of the various challenges in life. And he says, folks, consider it joy when you encounter various trials, not the trial itself, The testing of your faith produces something. Endurance, persevering spirit, persevering patience. And when it has its work, you are complete, lacking nothing. Completeness is the filling out of our character. The goal of the Christian life for us is to become conformed to the image of the living Christ. To have our soul in tune with the living God. These experiences in life, if we process them well, can move us towards that ultimate goal, again, of becoming like Christ. Do you remember the story of Tony Dungy when he lost his son? 18-year-old son committed suicide at the end of 2005 football season. The funeral service, you recall, Tony Dungy, head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, offered a heartbreaking appeal to fathers. God can provide joy in the midst of a sad occasion, he said. This challenge is to find that joy. I urge you not to take your relations for granted. Parents, hug your kids every chance you get. Tell them you love them. Each chance you get, you don't know when it's going to be the last time. Tony Dungy last saw his son at Thanksgiving in Indianapolis, and his son was in a rush to give the airport, and he did not get a chance to give him a hug. The Apostle Paul defines how we can experience that in two realities. In these verses. Very, very important. First of all, he talks about patient endurance. It's the term gentleness, which is really patient endurance. And what that means is that we we see life for the bigger picture. We don't see life as just one experience, and it's a focal point of life, but it's a a part of a long haul of the Christian experience, a greater reality. Have you seen people that are in this calm in the midst of great tragedies? Calm in the midst of great tragedies. The song we'll sing at the end of the service is a person who had a calmness, an inner calmness, even at the same time with deep inner pain. These are people who are processing their experiences with God. You know, this is not often a younger person. That's not to say anything about younger people lack character, but it's about the experiences of life. It takes time to understand what patient endurance is over the long haul. When I was 21 years old, I was engaged before I met Holly. And when I was engaged, I went down to, to Kansas to, to meet my one who's going to be my wife. And she broke off the relationship. And uh, in retrospect, it was good for her and good for me. But it broke off the relationship. And I can remember thinking, my world is over. Here's 21 years old, and I'm, I'm, I'm just devastated by this experience. In the little view of that, it was over. My life was over. I was young the way back I met my uncle as a pastor and he spent a couple days helping me understand the bigger reality of God's presence in our lives and our experiences to give me hope. I wonder at times how we can prepare for tragedy and the only ways we can is to prepare is for those difficult times in our lives is to be learning the lessons of our daily experiences in a trusting relationship with Christ. Every experience in life gives us an opportunity. And so patient endurance Enduring patiently, even in the midst of what we face, to see the bigger picture of God's work in our lives. But the second reality is God is near at hand. God's near at hand, folks, now and all eternity. We're covering the book of Revelation, and it's a great, great book. The book of Revelation, by the way, is to give encouragement to believers. That's the purpose of the book. And one of the phrases in that is so important. It says that God is the one who is, who was, and will be. Chapter 1 is so important to that book. I, when I, we go through that book, I keep, I'm going to keep saying, remember chapter 1. Remember chapter 1. Because it gives us the glory of Christ. But it's the one, he says, first, who is. In the experiences and the troubles of life, the Holy Spirit, the triune God, is there to journey with us through all those challenges. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Revelation chapter 21 and 22, at the close of the book, and the terrible situation. Even for the people of faith, the Apostle John says that Jesus is also near because of His return. These words were to move us to the reality of Jesus' return to take us home, to recognize that that is when He is near, no matter how bad life is, is sisters and brothers around the world, we need to understand, and we need today we need to understand. The presence of the living God who is going to take us home. There is a final home, a final resting place where there's no more pain, no more suffering. The first order is passing away and a new reality is moving of our eternal home. And the bigger picture of life moves us both from the present and it moves us to the glorious future. C.S. Lewis, in a group, observed as he lost his wife, says, God may not fix the pain with the, when the rope breaks and we fall into the valleys as thick as thieves, but he will commune with us in our sufferings and hope that it helps fix and form us into dependent, dependent souls dependent on the powerful grace of Christ. So I was preparing the message in my office. I was listening to a song by Fernando Ortega. In the morning when I rise, I'm not sure he penned it, but in the morning when I rise. In the morning when I rise. When I rise, give me Jesus. When I am alone, and many times in our life experiences of this broad journey, we find ourselves feeling alone, even in the crowds. When I am alone, when I am alone. When I am alone, the bigger picture is, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, all that it has to offer, you can have. But please give me Jesus. And when I come to die, the pattern of life is, we, as Ecclesiastes says, we're born. And the normal pattern is we will die. And when I come to die, when I come to die, give me Jesus. I wish God would intervene more than he does. I wish God would intervene so we don't have all this pain and all these things we have to go But I don't think he intervenes as much as we would love him to intervene, but he does at times. But if not, we can be assured of this, that he is with us. He is there with us, processing what we face in those most tough circumstances of life. Because he wants us to experience inner joy that wells up inside us by the work of the Holy Spirit that gets us to focus on Christ and the experiences of Jesus' birth in our life. And when that happens, what wells up inside of us, even in the midst of difficult times, is joy. My hope and prayer for all of us is that's true, in the midst of what we're facing. We can experience that inner joy. And I would encourage, so many times God mediates his presence through his people. And many times I've experienced joy in my life because you have ministered to me. And hopefully I've ministered to you. That comfort that we can provide one another from God, he gives it first to us, and that comfort we can provide to others is a way when we can encourage each other to experience that inner sense of joy. And we can sing songs like that. It is well with my soul, even in the midst of difficult experiences because of the presence of God. May we go in peace this morning. May we go through those doors, desiring above all else to follow Christ in all we do. Amen.